Hello and welcome to the Pod of the Damned. I'm your host Ian and joining me as always is my co-host Nico. How's it going buddy? I'm good, how are you? Uh, you still have a mouth for a cookie, don't you? <laughs> I'd, I'd literally just swallowed as you said it, buddy. <laughs> uh, Nico is a swallower, not a spitter. Yeah, it's rude to spit. It goes to waste, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> Maybe one day, Nico, we will just have a normal intro. Never, ever, ever, ever happen. No. <laughs> like, Maybe one like day. The closest we had was the one where it was all going fine, and then Arnie mounted Shira. <laughs> Those are Nico's cats, by the way, for any new <laughs> listeners. <laughs> that one was hysterical. I'm not I mean, lie. I think actually, you know what? I tell a lie. I did. We, I, we actually got a normal one in the last couple of weeks. Did we? Yeah, because I did one. I did an episode by myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that doesn't dear. count. Why not? Why does that not count? Because. Because, because you say so. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, for everyone out there, we are a horror podcast that deep dives into a different topic every single week in our quest to create a leaderboard of the best and worst horror movies of all time. This is episode number 68. We're almost reaching that comedy number, Nico. Uh, and in today's show, we are talking about Hereditary. Before we get into it, though, don't forget, if you would like to support us across our social medias, you can do so. We're on Twitter at Damn Podcast. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Pod of the Damned. And you can email us at podofthedamned at gmail.com. Uh, hereditary, Nico. We're going for a very big tonal shift from last week's episode where we were talking about Army of Darkness. Yeah, just like that. I hope we're doing a comedy one next, by the way. <laughs> uh, it's, it's your pick next, and I believe you know what you've picked. Oh no, I know what I've picked, yeah. Yeah, so we'll, I'll reveal it at the end of the episode. Um, unless you wish to change it, in which case you've got till the end of the episode to message me your new movie. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, it's 69, it's got to be something funny. I mean, the, 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 we're, we're, it's not, it's got comedy elements, our next movie. That is true. It's not, it's oh. not an unfunny movie, it's, it's, I think, I think it's a fine movie for it. Do you really? I well, apparently I'm not supposed to. <laughs> I, I messaged you one. Uh, you, you I, I wondered what that was. Oh, um, sure, we'll change it to that. <laughs> sure, we'll I'll, I'll, we'll move next week's one back a week for you then, or back a fortnight. That sounds like a Back good to one, your yeah. next choice. I now need yeah. to go and change files and everything, Nico. Come on. <laughs> This is you not. Good. This, right is, this, now, this does not make for good podcasting. We don't you, edit. You don't need to do it right this minute. Well, do I do because I'll forget. That's it. It's done. It's done. <laughs> it's done. It's done. It's done. It's done. It's done. Are you saying I'm ruining your moment? Yeah, you've ruined my mojo. Oh no! Not again. Uh, anyways, Nico, we're talking about her hereditary. You're you're up to date with the leaderboard. Where do you think hereditary is going to land on the board? See, this is a Marmite movie, so I've got a funny feeling it'll be just outside the top 20. Just outside the top 20? So are we saying, what, 20 to 25? I reckon it'll be round about where Gremlins is. Okay, so Gremlins currently sitting in 20th place um, with a uh, 7.6 out of 10. I reckon it'll be round there, yeah. Around there, okay. Okay, well, it'll be interesting, because I think I like a lot. It, a lot might depend on what you're going to score this. Um, it could be very really? interesting where this lands. 
Um, we shall wait and see. With that being said, Nico, uh, shall we just get into it? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Okay, so we are talking about Hereditary. Come on, Peter. Yes, you're suing. It's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today. I know my mom would be very touched and probably a little suspicious. My mother was a very secretive and private woman. It's grandma. You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you were a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. She was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. I recognize you from your mother. What? Sometimes I swear I can feel them in the room. Oh my God, what's that? She isn't gone. She had private rituals, private friends. Who's gonna take care of me? You don't think I'm gonna take care of you? But when you die. And she wasn't altogether there. At the end. stress on my family. This movie was released in 2018, was directed by Ari Aster and stars Tony Collette, Millie Shapiro and Gabriel Byrne. The IMDb plot is as follows. A grieving family is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences. That's it. That's the IMDb plot. I feel like this is one of those movies that it had to be super brief, otherwise the plot could have been fucking huge. Yeah. Like, there is so, so much to unpack with this movie. Um, You know, I, I'm... I don't even... I almost don't even know where to begin. Um, normally, when we review movies, we don't go for things in terms of scene by scene and chronological order. I do have, like, a slightly, like, a, a, a bridged version of this movie in chronological order because i just feel like there's so much to unpack in this movie um nico do you want to take the where where would you like to start start at the beginning we were just going to start at the beginning so we get the beginning of this movie we got this we got the funeral as well and one of the things about this movie is that because i I was watching it with a friend and i said to that i was like you have to pay attention to this film Obviously, this isn't the first time I've seen yeah. it. I'm assuming this is not the first time you've seen it, Nico. No. Um, you have to pay attention to this film from the very beginning because there are clues. And the clues, if it's the first time you're watching it, might not mean anything to you the first time you watch it. Like, no. for example, um, Ellen, who's Tony Collette's mom in this, um, is wearing a necklace that has uh, the symbol of Paimon on it. 
Now, the first time you're watching this movie, you're not going to realize that's a clue. Yep. But obviously, upon rewatches and the deeper into the movie you get, you realize that that's actually a, a fucking big clue. And how, like, how much times have you watched this movie? I've probably seen this six or seven times, and I think every single time I noticed something that I didn't notice before. That's what I was going to say as well, because this will be the fourth time I've watched it. No, sorry, fifth time I've watched it. And every single time you notice something else. Yeah. It's 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 one of those movies. It, it, it's a very... It's very... It's a, it's, it's a slow burner, um, but the last, what, half an hour of this movie is fucking insane. Yeah. Like, but it's a, it's a very slow burn. But the performances of this movie are incredible. Yes. And I know sometimes that it can be a bit cliche to throw it about, um, but I truly believe that Tony Collette should have been nominated for an Oscar for this movie. See, a lot of folks say that, and she is very, very good in it. But you disagree. It's not that I disagree. It's just, well, who else was getting Oscars at that time? Who got Best Actress in 2018? I'm trying to remember now. Because I I had this discussion with somebody else, and I was like, yeah, those folk, yeah, she wouldn't even make it. Uh, Frances McDormand won Best Actress for a role in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah, and it was the nominees. We had the nominees up as well. I'm like, Um, yeah, she, she wouldn't make it, actually. I have the nominees. You also had Sally Hawkins for The Shake of Water, Margot Robbie and I, Tonya, um, Meryl Streep in The Post. So, I, I, yeah. I just think her performance in this movie is incredible, though. I, I don't think I've ever seen someone be able to convey grief and hurt and pain, like, emotionally as well as Tony Collette has done in this movie. Yeah. I, I, I'm... I'm saying that, you know, we should maybe go through it chronologically. We don't have to. We're going to jump about a bit. Um, obviously, by the way, as always, I always forget. We never actually drop a spoiler warning. <laughs> I think I've done it maybe four times in the, what, this, what's this, 68 episodes that we've done now. There's heavy, heavy spoilers. If, if people don't know spoilers by now, fuck off, right? <laughs> it's only been five years. Exactly. It's only been five like, years. This isn't a movie from the 80s. Exactly. And the thing is, even the new ones that we're talking about, you know we're talking about the fucking movie. You know it's going to be happening. Um, so, the the scenes after Charlie's death, and we'll get on to Charlie's death itself, um, because that, that, that requires a whole sort of discussion, but the scenes after Charlie's death where uh, Annie, Tony Collette's character, is grieving, like, yeah. you can feel the heart coming off the screen. Like yes. she that that the performance she is given the wailing the screaming you know she says things like uh, it hurts you know it hurts too much I just want to die or you yeah. know uh, whatever and you know just the constant pain it's 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 actually gave me goosebumps the first time I watched it yeah it's it's fucking brutal it's the only way I put it well the thing is though that like maybe not in this exact scenario but. There are people out there who feel like that, you know, who lose loved ones unexpectedly, and that's the feel. And I feel like sometimes it can be a little undersold the impact that that can have, especially on a parent when they lose a child. Yeah, saying that, 
the most undersold bit is the book being tossed into the fire. Well, can we just... Actually, you know what? Speaking of that, right, I'm going to jump about a little bit here. Can we just say right from the very beginning that how badly... I don't know if you feel the same. How badly I feel for Steve in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Like, his whole world is gone. Because he realistically does nothing other than just desperately try to keep his very broken family apart and it's not until and up it's not until the very very end even though that there's that growing disconnect between him and annie even though they're becoming more and more estranged as the movie goes on he still does everything that she asks of him yeah you know, apart from that, <laughs> apart from the very end where he finally gives up and he's like, "No, you know what? I'm just not doing this anymore." He still goes up to the attic to check out, check if there's a dead body. He still takes yeah. part in the séance, even though he doesn't believe in it. You know, he literally does everything that she asks him to do, and in the end, ends up getting burned alive for his troubles. Yeah, like. He's the one that's the most hard done by in this fucking movie, is he? But the thing is, like, as well, I didn't fucking see that coming, did you? See, I was still thinking at that point. I didn't think it was, like, something supernatural that, but I just thought it was, like, a weird fucking cult thing or something. You can. Yeah, no, but I didn't, then, that's what I'm saying. Like, I didn't fucking see him going up in flames. Yeah, because at that point, I, I thought, fucking, oh, he's about to do that, and then somebody's got to come out and kill him. I didn't think, fuck, yeah. his, I, the book burned, so he just bursts into flames. Yeah. And then, of course, we obviously had seen in an earlier scene that um, Annie had started going up in flames when the book went. So even if you were believing that was going to happen, I didn't believe it was going to happen to Steve. I thought it was going to happen to Annie. Aye. So I feel really bad. Because at the end of the day in this movie, right, he's lost a child as well. Yep. He's lost a child. And we do see at one point in the movie when he stops sleeping in the same bed, he starts sleeping on the sofa. He's taking some sort of tablets. Now, I'm assuming they're either sleeping pills or antidepressants. Yeah. So he... I put my money on sleeping tablets, I. So he, or, you know, a combination of the two, he is suffering as well. But he's uh. just suffering in silence. And there's that one scene as well, I think, where he has to go pick up uh, Peter from school so when he smashes his face against the desk. Um, yeah. Where he just breaks down in the car and just starts bawling in the car as well. But he suffers alone and in silence. Yeah. Whereas Annie obviously is very much out there with her her emotions, her feelings. You know, that she she can't hold it in. Steve holds it in. Is he? Is it? Is it more toxic for him to have held all that in? Would he have been better served if he'd been a little bit more like Annie? Yeah. See, <clears throat> sorry, lose my voice. See, oh no, what a disaster! <laughs> like you couldn't talk about this movie yourself, uh, <laughs> but it's it's the whole, like everything in it. This is a movie just about pure pain. Yeah, Ari Aster it's, himself has come out and said this was a movie about pain, grieving, and suffering. Ah, uh, because fucking like he's the good old fashioned. The folk, the, the men that I grew up with, no matter what happened, you hid your pain from everyone. That's exactly what he is. Yeah, that, yeah, you know, you're 100%, 100% correct. And then she's like the woman version. You'd see them just fucking break down but try and hide it from the kids, but in front of everybody else to be fucking just broken. Yeah. So it's it's how everyone deals with fucking grief. And that's it. Like... And- like, the death that we're going to talk about probably the most, 
like being in the car, <laughs> going straight back and just like acting the way he did, like fucking numb. That's that's the way some folk have dealt with fucking tragedy like that as well. I mean, there there is no right way to tell someone how to deal with the gr- the grief of losing a loved one. Yeah, and everyone will deal with things. There are more healthy ways of dealing with it than others. Um, yeah, but who realistically is to say what is the right and wrong way to go out and deal with it? No one really knows that pain until you have to go through it. It's it's one of those things. Um, uh. Let's jump to it because it's kind of the elephant in the room. Uh, Charlie's death scene. Well, yeah, I certainly didn't fucking see that coming on my first watch through. Neo did she. <laughs> but uh, like it's that good old fashioned Simpsons episode you know the fucking how did you lose your arm well how did you lose your head <laughs> Um, well we're talking about how Peter dealt with it and, yeah. I, I, and I remember watching this uh, with one of my ex, uh, with an ex-partner and, and my flatmate and we were just sitting there and all three of us were just gobsmacked when she got decapitated by that post, and it's it did that actually happen? Is what your brain is doing? We were and we were literally. It was like, what do you do? What if you put yourself in Peter's shoes? What do you do? Well, you'd at least pick the heat up. I have no fucking idea what the answer <laughs> to this actual question is. What <laughs> you do not do is drive home with the decapitated body still in the back of the car leave it there, and then go to bed. That's what you don't do. Like, he's in shock. Like, he's he's just like, on autopilot. I fully understand that he is in shock. That's still what you don't do. I agree. But still, it's fucked up. It is absolutely fucked up. But that scene... Because, you know, I went, in, I, I, I went into this movie pretty blind. I wasn't really 100% certain what I was get, like, myself getting in for. And based on the early part of the movie, you actually think Charlie's probably going to be the character that this movie's based around. Yes. And... See, that, that's the thing that shocked me the most as well, because everything that's happening to Charlie, like, the thing is, it's foreshadowed as well, because Sasta, right? So, she's cut off the pigeon's head. Mm-hmm. And that should have been a warning straight away. Like, you, you should have known then her head was going to come off. Yeah, but you're not. No, you, but, you never automatically but, go to that, uh, way, do you? Like, like the next movie he's what, like you, the next movie he does, and you're watching shit. You automatically are looking for shit like that. Yeah, but that's it. because he by does that, that point, we've had Hereditary. We know yeah. his style. This, this was his directorial debut. Yeah, like everything he does is foreshadowed. Everything. You you talk about Midsummer. Spoilers coming up here, so shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, spoilers for Midsummer. Right. Like, uh, like, everything that happens in that movie is in the opening credits. That's how fucking much foreshadowing he did. Yeah. Yeah. Every single thing that's a main point in it. And you don't notice it because you're not paying attention that much. Second time you watch it, you fucking Arthur. Mm, 100%. 100%. Um,. And it goes back to what we were saying, what I was saying earlier, like, you need to pay attention to this movie from the very, very beginning, because there's so, like, not even just at the very beginning of this movie, though, but, you know, there's that moment where we, like, we, they drive past the post, we linger on the post, and it, it's, it's maybe not the, the clearest thing to see, but the symbol of Paimon is actually on that post. Yep. 
you know? So that's the foreshadowing. I, I noticed that this time, by the way. I didn't notice it before. Yeah, so that's a little bit of foreshadowing there. Um, you know, we get the foreshadowing. They mention at the funeral that she's allergic to nuts. And so yeah. it's obviously foreshadowing that there's going to be some sort of incident later in the film where she has an allergic reaction to nuts. Um, yeah. So Or peanuts. I can't remember if it's spe- specified which one. Um, I think it's so, nuts, isn't is it? it? Just nuts in general. I, I can't remember. But anyways, like, that, like you say, there's the foreshadowing of the fact that she cuts off the head of the pigeon. Um, these are all things that we're pointing towards that if you're watching this for the first time or even the second or third time, you're maybe not going to be 100% aware of the actual significance of these scenes. The pigeon, yeah. the head getting cut off the pigeon probably more so than anything yeah. else because that's so overt. But in terms of the rest of it, like you, just, you wouldn't have a clue. Like, at that point when she's cutting the head of the pigeon off, right, you're just thinking it's a disturbed kid, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're just thinking, this kid's fucking probably got the idea shooting from the grow-up. Well, I mean, up until this point, we just believe that the, 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 the character, Charlie, is someone who has, what, got some, some sort of disability. Yeah. When in actual fact, just possessed by the demon Paimon. Aye. Uh, like, it could not be more opposite to what you actually think it's going to be. Yeah, and the 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 worst part is you know I you almost feel bad for Charlie because Charlie was never the intended intended recipient of Paimon. Yep, it was always Peter, and again that gets foreshadowed multiple times through the movie as well. When you know when they talk about um, how uh, Tony Collette's mom Ellen wouldn't let she wouldn't let her near Peter when Peter was born. So she just sort of gave her Charlie uh. when Charlie was born. Like, um, Alan wouldn't even let Tony Collette, like, breastfeed her um, and, and, and various other things. So, you know, it was always Peter. We know Paimon likes a male host. Does not like... Well, needs. Male. It's not likes, it's yeah, needs. Yeah, needs a male host. So, you know, it, Charlie was never the intended recipient, yet Charlie's entire life was completely ruined by the fact that you know, they were, the Alan was never allowed access to Peter. Yeah. Because Paimon had to go into there to keep himself going, basically. Yeah. Uh, just, it's worth pointing out at this point that Paimon, I mean, I say in real life, but Paimon is a recognised um, demon. You know, it, it's it's not something that's made up for the movie. Um, this the the sigil the the symbol that we see multiple times you see on the necklace you see on the post you see you know in blood on the wall that is the correct symbol for Paimon that is his symbol, um, re- according to scripts, um, Paimon is um leads legions of spirits but it varies from anything from like twenty to two hundred legions is only described as having a beautiful face and is male there is no other real physical description of Paimon. Um, he has knowledge of all arts and secret things and can reveal hidden treasures. Um, but if summoned by himself, then you have to make an offering or a sacrifice, which is obviously what happens, excuse me, um, in this movie. So that is quite accurate to the, the, I don't know what you would call it, the story or the legend of Paimon, you know, whether yeah. you choose to believe in these things or not. Personally, obviously I don't, but... Um, if you do, then they've they've tried to keep relatively true to what the actual sort of story of Paimon is. But wasn't there like fucking theories that this was cursed because of that? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 
I, I, those theories, though, they always linger over movies like this. So there's theories that The Omen was cursed as a movie. There's theories that The Exorcist was cursed as a movie. Um, when you're you're doing a movie like this that deals with demons and the devil and Satanism and sacrifices, there's there's always those stories that those movies are cursed. The Omen one's a bit fucking mental. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong. Like, it has varying degrees of, you know... Yeah, okay, that's a bit fucking freaky to... Oh, yeah, that's a bit of a stretch. But, you know, there, there, there will just always be those theories and rumours. Oh, yeah. But, the, like, this one, I can't remember what it was. Somebody did tell me. And I was like, okay, that's a bit fucking of a leap. The only ones, it's like, whilst they were going to film it, planes are getting struck by lightning and shit. That one seems more realistic. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one was fucked up. Right, yeah. I <laughs> There's two documentaries on it. There's two documentaries on it for a reason. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, but dragging us back to uh, Charlie's death, you know, I think that was just such an effective point in this movie because that's really when things, although slightly slowly, start to kick into gear for this movie as well. Um, Aye, that's like the catalyst and the switch for everything going. Yeah, everything changes at that point because the whole dynamic in all of the relationships in this movie begin to change. Yeah. Um, specifically, and especially the relationship between uh, Annie and Peter, um, Tony yeah. Collette and Alex Wolf's characters. We've, because up until this point, we've been led to believe that there's a sort of strained relationship, but there's no actual... We haven't actually been physically told why that was, and then we find we find out that one day um, Annie was sleepwalking and poured paint thinner over herself and Peter and Charlie, I believe, and was going to set themselves on fire. Uh, and you know, so that that that's a pretty good reason to you mean know, be a bit mistrusting of your mother. Yeah, just a little bit, because fucking yeah. Well, I'd I'd obviously try to fucking stop the curse sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And but it also goes to show like it goes again to this sort of thing because Annie's existence in this movie is a miserable one. Uh, you know, through the entire length of this movie. From the moment we first meet her, her mum has just been killed. You know, partway through the movie she loses her daughter. The only uh, child that she actually had some sort of relationship with, proper relationship with growing up was Peter, but Peter's the one who she's actually alienated. Uh, she's got an estranged, a, a strange relationship with her husband. She literally has no comfort in this movie. Her yeah. life is that of suffering. Yeah, and that is it. It's fucking just pain for everyone. There, so, there is nobody that is not touched by fucking grief in this movie. No, absolutely not. Because as we were saying, it is completely focused on Annie. But as we said earlier, Steve's lost a door. Peter's lost a sister as well, you know, so they, yeah. they, 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 they definitely will be feeling that too. Um, are there any points in this movie where you're just like, I have no fucking clue what's going on? First time I watched it, yeah. Because, like, the first time I watched it, I was like, holy fuck, this has just went from being, all right, they're all just grieving a dissy voice, a horror, to fucking hell, it's demons. What the fuck is going on? It just it, changes, it just turns it, it goes from one to eleven without anything in the middle. Yeah, and then the the whole ending like is so quick as well. well you're you're a... left shell shocked with it. 
Well, it really, I think that's it, deliberate. We're saying it goes from 1 to 11. I, 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 it goes from 1 to 11, but I think it does it really slowly. Um, And it's really only in that last, what, 15 minutes where you're like, this is fucking bonkers. Aye, because, like, it goes, like, from the, like, up until the end, you're like, yeah, this is probably a 1, 2, then it goes up a bit more. But then it just goes straight from, it, it probably marks out at, like, a 4 or a 5 there. Yeah. Soon as it gets to the fucking book being burnt, it just goes yeah. straight to eleven and as doesn't soon as, come back. As out. soon as Steve is burned alive, that's it. It's just like all bets are off. Yeah. Um. This is also when Annie herself gets possessed, or yeah, visibly possessed. There's I don't know. Like, do you think she's been pos- she's possessed as throughout the movie? She obviously gets possessed during the séance. Yes. Um. Because we hear her speaking in Charlie's voice, and she, you know, she she displays other characteristics of being possessed um, but this is where things click into gear you know she's fucking climbing walls she's hiding in corners yeah. um this is also where we get now nico i given what we know about how you like to dress for these podcasts yes and i think you know where i'm going to go with this do you think you could be one of the familiars that's just hiding in the doorway with a creepy grin <laughs> What, what do you mean? Why would I be having a creepy grin? I'd be in my fucking element. Fucking right, exactly! That's what makes it a creepy fucking grin. They'd, they'd be like, you need to sell your... What? Sorry, I've already signed me. What? <laughs> I, I get to hug around naked all the time. I'm cool with that, man. How fucking freaky is that? Uh, uh, nothing nothing for me, to be honest. I didn't find it that freaky. You don't find that freaky at all? Imagine being in yeah, your really. house, in the dark... Your ma's possessed. She's she's hiding in the corners of the ceiling. You turn around, and in the dark al- in the dark doorway, you see a naked elderly man just grinning at you, a toothy grin. You don't think that's creepy? It's creepy, yes. <laughs> it's they terrifying. What about the ones in the attic? That one's a bit more fucking freaky. Though. You think that one's more freaky? Yeah. Why? I don't know. <laughs> you just... It just it it just is. It to just me. like, and it's weird because like, see, rewatching it, is there naked folk at the funeral as well? I'm not sure. I, There's I not. Fucking... They're not naked at the funeral, but the some of the people who are present at the funeral are the naked people. Because see, at the funeral, I'm not joking, right? I was watching it. And you know the bit where you just see the tree line? It looked like I was a naked wifey there. And I'm like, did I just see that? Or am I mocking my mind think that now? I mean, and I'm neither, neither maybe, only to say this, maybe by Maybe you way. have, and I've just not noticed it. Um, did you notice the naked people surrounding the house? Yes, that's on the like third viewing or fourth viewing. Where, yeah, remember. so where you get that really quick flip from day to night, outside view yeah. of the house. When it changes to night, you see them surrounding the house. Um, yeah. That took a few viewings for me to spot as well. I, I never noticed it the first two, I guarantee it was either the third or the fourth one I noticed it. But yeah, the first two I never noticed it at all. Yeah. It, it took, a, so few, it took a few a few viewings for me. That's that's definitely fucking creepy. That's that yeah. gives, that's chill factors right there. Yes. Um But we also know I don't know if you've spotted it as well, we also know that they've been being they've been being watched at the at, at the house since the very beginning of the movie. You know that scene where Peter's smoking the bong in his bedroom. Aye. I don't know if you spotted this, where we see we see him from an outside view of his room. We see him through the window smoking a bong. You can actually see the breath 
of someone watching him. I never noticed that. I see. There you go. That's what we're saying. This this is one of those things about this movie. Is you? What did you say? You've watched this four times now. I think it's five now. Four or I'm five trying, times. I don't, now. I don't. I don't. I don't. Give it a sec. Oh, you're gonna work it out. But basically, what I'm saying is, you've now watched yeah, this five, four, four five. or five times. Five times now. There are still things in this movie you haven't spotted. There's still yeah. things you haven't seen. There's still things to try and figure out. It is crazy, this movie. And like I say, even taking it all the way back to the very beginning where Annie has given the eulogy to her mum at her funeral, one of the first things she comments about how there are so many people there she does not recognise. Yeah. That's because they're all part of this cult. Yeah. You know, and, and that that's a clue, and, you know, that's one of the first words spoken in this movie, and that is a clue to the entire plot of the movie. Yep. It's just, I, I, I think this film is so cleverly done. It, don't get me wrong, yeah, I totally agree with this movie is cleverly done, but it's just, I think, for me, I think the pacing's off with it a little bit, because it's so slow and then so quick. I, I, I know people have an issue with that. The person that I watched this movie with definitely had issues with the pacing of this film. Personally, this is right up my fucking street. Yeah. You know, this is what we were talking about last week when, you know, we were sort of comparing our different levels of sort of horror comedies with Army of Darkness. That wasn't yeah. really up my street, it was up yours. This, in terms of the style of movie this is, is right up my street. Yeah. Even the whole fucking her hobby, well, her, her career of making the little models. You love that shit about you. Yeah, I absolutely do. Because it gives <laughs> you windows into the plot. It gives you backstory. It's like it's almost like you're getting a visual storyboard of the movie as the movie goes along. And yeah. as she slowly becomes more and more unhinged, as she slowly has more and more grief-stricken, so do her miniatures. She starts making miniatures about her mum breastfeeding her child. She starts making miniatures of her daughter's death until it gets to the breaking point where she just smashes everything up. It's like a commentary on the movie as the movie goes along. Yeah. It shows where her mental state is at. Pretty much, like the what, like especially the one where she's doing the beheading. Because mm-hmm. because even Steve comes in at that point and is like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Yeah, because that's what I was literally just about to say. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, like going back to him again, he's like, "Fucking, there's only certain times that he comes in." You know what I mean? Most of his acting in this is facial expressions, wondering oh, what the fuck is going on. You know what I mean? He's yeah. He feels like a side character in this. Yeah, that's a, like, that, I feel like that's also the point, isn't it? Because uh, but, because we were speaking about earlier how his suffering is in silence, his suffering is alone, we're so busy focusing on Annie's suffering. His, like, him being almost treated like a side character shows the, the how slighted he has been in this whole situation because no one really thinks about what Steve's going through. No one really cares that he's having a breakdown. He's lost a door. He's on medication. But none of that matters because we're focusing on Annie. Yeah, because the, the bit that I noticed that the most is the bit where she's shouting at him over the table. Mm-hmm. And, like, that whole bit where she's just screaming at him and screaming at him, 
you can see that Steve wants to say something. Yeah. Everything in his face is crying out for him to do something, and he holds it back and holds it back. That is another it, incredible scene in this movie, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I was I was waiting to say that's one of the underrated ones that I thought as well. It's 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 so well performed because you've got <laughs> you almost try and play devil's advocate in that scene because you've got on one hand you've got Annie who is completely grief stricken over the loss of her daughter and she sits uh. there and she says that she doesn't blame Peter or she does no, she's like she for, or forgives I can't remember what the exact words she uses are but she just wishes he would take some responsibility. And she would be able to forgive him, but because he was uh, unwilling to do that, she can't forgive him um, for for what happened to Charlie. And yeah. then you've on the other side, um, you've got Peter who blames Annie for essentially forcing him to take Charlie to the party in the first place when Charlie didn't want to go. And then when you uh. sit there and you look at it. You look at both sides and you think, but both sides are right. Annie and both did sides are wrong at the same time. And both time, sides yeah. are wrong at the same time. Annie did force Charlie to go to the party when she didn't want to go. But Peter didn't look after Charlie at the party. When he was at the party, he was more interested in getting high and getting his hole. Ah. Which is usually what I'm in... Well, maybe not getting high. I don't smoke weed. But, you know... THC vapes. It's the future, mate. That's uh, that's what, but that's what te- that's what teenagers do at parties. They get uh, high, they get drunk, they do whatever, and they try to you know get with people generally of the opposite sex. But obviously, it depends on your orientation. Um, they, they try do- and get with people is basically what you're saying. Try and get. They try with and people. get their hole. They try and get their hole. We've all been there, Nico. Yep. So like he's doing what teenagers would do. However, he was put in a position where he should have been taking care of his sister. Exactly. It's and not until you're older you realise that fucking if he'd just not been trying to get his hole, he would have got his hole quicker. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it, it's just a try and always makes it worse. Exactly. Like, it's when you stop trying, folks. Like, that's what, that's when you'll become a fanny magnet. <laughs> but it works the other way around as well. <laughs> Talk so, of yeah. Are we talking for experience here, Nico? <laughs> I remember when I tried. Let's put it that way. Uh, I think I'm still trying. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> trying everyone's patience, motherfucker. Oh, oh, that's a bit fucking rich. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so dragging it back to the, 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 the dinner table scene, you know, you've got these two people who are complete. Again, it's that thing. You can't tell someone how to grieve and how to feel in these situations. They're both yeah. right and wrong in how they feel, but there's just no communication between them. They do not communicate uh, until it gets to this point where they are blowing up at each other. Yeah. It's like that scene alone I was about to repeat myself and say it's foot, but it's it emphasizes everyone's character in a way that you wouldn't expect it to, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like that is basically like she's exploding all attentions on her it's all about her everything's for her yeah but in actual fact you can see the two of them wanting to help him 
really, but she's still blown up. You can see her restraint when she like it's so well acted. She's exploding to him, but at the same time wanting to restrain at the same time, mm-hmm. which is basically fucking. They're trying to be good parents, but in their own way, but failing miserably. Yeah, and they're failing miserably through no doing of their own. They're failing miserably because they're, they're the hierarchy of their family, the people who came before them in their family, were part of a fucking cult. Yeah. And that's essentially it. So it, it's, it's, it's watching people struggle to deal with things that they actually have no control over. Yeah. Which is a lot of what grief is. Because no one chooses to grieve. Uh, you know, no one chooses to lose loved ones. Well, the, the grandmother chose it. No, but, but you know what I mean, like, regular people. Uh, I know. So, you know, I think that's a... I think that's a, a, big, a big factor in this as well. Um... Just going off a little bit as well, not looking too deeply into this. Overall, as a movie, how yeah. how do you sort of rate the the actual creepy factor of this movie? Because, you know, we've talked about the naked people that we see surrounding the house. We talk about the naked people in the doorway and in the attic. Um, there's yeah. a scene early on, not long after Ellen's dead, where Annie sees her standing in the corner of the room. There's a scene where Peter wakes up and he thinks he sees Charlie. It turns out it's just like a basketball um, uh, you know, we hear the clicking going on throughout the movie, uh, the tongue clicking. Um, how do you? How do you? And then you've obviously got like the seance scenes and all that as well. How do you sort of rate the creep factor in this? Because it is it ruined because of the slow pace. Not really, because at the start it's like a slow build up, and then when everything fucking changes is when it, like it. It's not as creepy at that point, if you know what I mean. When it gets turned up, it, it becomes more actiony and less creepy, if you know what I mean. It becomes more horror-y than, like, creepy-out type situation. Yeah. And that's from the book Burning Onwards, mm. that bit. So there's, like, two switches in this movie. It's the decapitation and the book burning. Yeah. And the decapitation bit is where, right, someone's definitely, right, you're seeing someone new in this when he gets burned alive that's when it's like yeah this is just fucking mental and it's like building up the creepy factor building up the creepiness all that and then it just goes all right this thing's taking over and you're not getting a fucking option yeah because there is also a moment in this movie where we see that annie does actually try and deal with her grief in a relatively reasonable way and she attends a grief counseling meeting yeah and we that meeting actually gives us some really important information about ba- uh, a backstory. Sorry about Annie and her life. You know, she she tells us in there that Ellen, her mom, was um, diagnosed with uh, DID, dissociative identity disorder. Um, you know, and she feel she felt the presence of other identities, i.e., Paimon. Um, her brother had mental health issues. She he committed suicide. And in his suicide note, actually said that Ellen was trying to put people inside of him. So they were originally using Annie's brother to be the sort of vessel for Paimon as well. Um, I think they said that their father also suffered from mental issues as well. So, you know, this this isn't something that's came along 
just because Ani's had children. This is something that they've been dealing with her, her entire life. Yeah, and it's fucking everything's for Paimon with that. That's what that's basically saying. Yeah, and it's basically looking for the male host. That's why Charlie getting possessed by him just. It's a bit fucking weird that bit. Like I, I but then like it, that, but it makes sense then in the grand scheme of the movies they couldn't put Paimon into Annie's brother. He committed suicide. They couldn't put yeah. him into Peter originally because Annie protected Peter from yeah. Ellen because of their estranged relationship. The only one they got access to was Charlie. Yeah. So yeah, so that me so you know that meeting. And it, it almost becomes worse as well because in that meeting, this is obviously the gateway to Annie meeting Joan. Ah. Um, at that grief counselling meeting when she goes back. And then that's when that's when things really start going south for Annie because Joan's obviously at this point, Annie's still in a little bit of control about what is going on. Yeah. But once Joan gets in on the scene that's when everything that Annie is hearing and being told is being completely manipulated. Yeah. Because from that point on, you know, Joan tells her about the seance. Joan shows her the seance. Joan talks about, you know, uh, her mum not being gone and not things not being her fault and, bla- and all these other things. Yeah. And that's what's starting to warp. She leads Annie into believing that the seance is a good thing. The seance is a thing that will get her back in contact with Charlie, when in actual fact, it's a method of a way of getting Paimon into her son. Yes. So, it's a, sorry. Aye, it's, it's a way of, like... It's after the seance that the whole, like, the book's opening up and there's the pictures forming, the balls there that looks like her face. It's after that 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 happens. Mm -hmm. And it escalates very, very quickly. Yeah. It does escalate very, very quickly after that because they, because I don't know if you know, so there's actually a point earlier in the movie where we see a leaflet for an open seance being pushed through um, their letterbox. Aye. And... The only reason that Joan, because I think that I think from what I read into that is that they pushed that through her letterbox in the hope that Annie would just go off her own back. She obviously didn't, and that's when Joan had to step in and show her the seance herself, say that oh I went, this is what happened. Aye. Um. So you know, there's resistance there. You can sort of feel Annie trying to resist what's happening to her, what's happening to her family. And I think that's really important as well, because ultimately, I think if you don't have that, you almost start to become a little unsympathetic for her. Yeah. And, like, everything that's built around her at that point after the seance, if you notice, she calms down a lot after the seance as well. Yeah. But that's because she's been possessed. Exactly. But you, you think it's actually done her better yeah. until you realise it hasn't done her better. Yeah. It's fucked up. Well, that, but that's the movie, isn't it? Like, things mm. are happening, You do, like, things happen in this movie that you just do not fully understand until you have watched the entire movie. And then yeah. it's one of those, you know, you get to the end and then you go, oh yeah, that makes sense now, you know? And, and yeah. you know, not a lot of movies really try and do that, I think, anymore. Um, uh. You know, and I think... I think more should. Um, let's talk about like the, we've still got a few more things to talk about. Um, 
Arnie's death is yeah. pretty fucking brutal. Yeah. Like, um, what... That whole end is like, what the fuck? Well, let's just talk about the ending as a whole then, obviously, because at the point where Annie does become possessed and she starts climbing walls, that's really the beginning of the end of the movie. Eventually, she chases Peter through the house and he runs up to the attic where we know um, Ellen's decapitated body was. There's loads of flies coming out of there. I mean, just, just jumping back as well, where the scene where we Pete, Steve does discover the body off camera and we hear his screams is actually quite creepy as well. Yeah. I think, anyway, because, you know, he, up until this point, has really shown very little emotion, especially in front of his family members. So suddenly, you know, he he's screaming in the eye because he's found this decapitated body. That's when things switch, because he believes that it was Annie who dug up the body. It was him that desecrated the grave, which is, yeah. a, which is a piece of information we find out much, much earlier in the movie, but we don't necessarily know the significance of that earlier in the movie again. Again, yeah. it's one of those things that suddenly makes sense when you get that piece of information later in the film. It's like... When he says it, it's you that dug up the body to her. Yeah. And it's fucking mental. It's mental as well, because at home we know that it wasn't. But yeah. I fully understand why he thinks it was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he, I, I fully understand, like, I believe he believes what he's saying, and that's, I can see why he thinks that's true. But we know he's wrong. Yeah. Uh. And it's 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 a shame, um, but then obviously, so she chases Peter up to the attic. You get that scene where she's on the ceiling, just absolutely banging her head off the the attic hatch. Which is... aye, that looks so fucking brutal. Like aye. she's actually headbutting it. Aye, it's fucking nuts. And then you know we we follow Peter in the attic, and you hear that squelching, don't you? That yeah, that noise. She's obviously, and then we see that she is decapitating herself with assuming a piece of piano wire or something or yeah it looks that way she's fucking basically twisted around and fucking sawing it off it's fucking and she's looking him dead in the eye as well it's so fucking she's got that the most bizarre expression on her face there's like just nothing there but it's the way it starts off slow yeah and then when he looks she slowly starts and then the we act, the actual decapitation happens off camera. You just hear the body thud. Yeah, it's after it, it's after he's thrown himself out the window. Well, you see the three of them as well standing naked, waving at him first as well. Yeah, that's creepy so, as fuck. Yeah, that bit's fucking. That's the creepiest naked bit. Where it's just like, oh yeah, and it's like, it's like <laughs> he's just like he's just like no, <laughs> fucking jumps out the window. <laughs> it's um, fucking. It's so fucked up and then obviously you know that's when peter becomes possessed once he's jumped out the window you see there's this light force that we've not mentioned that we see throughout the movie um you know that's when that finally enters him and that is him Uh. being possessed by paimon so i'm assuming i'm going with the assumption that obviously it's paimon that possessed annie at that point, yeah. she's killed herself and decapitated herself, so therefore the light forces left her the same way it left Charlie once Charlie became decapitated, and yep. now it's finally got the host that it wants. Yeah. You get to see Annie's headless corpse floating up to the treehouse, and then he obviously follows them. We see all the naked people there. Joan's there. Fortunately, Joan's clothed, because um, I don't particularly want to see Joan naked. Um, 
you know, you've got the decapitated bodies of Annie and Alan there. Paimon's crown is sitting on top of Charlie's head and Peter is crowned King Paimon. Yeah. And that's that's essentially the last ten minutes of the movie and it's just fucking insane. Uh, it's just one thing off like that bit where the body's going into the treehouse though. Like, that genuinely does look like an alien abduction, but did you not think that yourself? Oh, well, like, uh, the, 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 the tractor beam has been, came down, yeah. It Basically, it, that's fit because it's like, the light shining down out the treehouse, and there's, like, the light coming out the top, and it, yeah. it's the way that light is angled, it genuinely looks like, I beam me up, Scotty. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's fucking, that's just weird as well. Yeah. And, of course, you know, the thing is, as well, like, because the focus shifts towards the end of the film as well. The first half of the movie, or maybe probably a bit more than the first half of the movie, we're completely focused on Annie, but the focus then shifts to Peter. Yeah. Um, you know, you for example, like you get that scene where he smashes his own face off the desk, which <laughs> also looks fucking painful. I've got a bit of trivia about that for a little bit later as well. Um, but, you know, he smashes his own face at the desk. You know, you see him looking into... It's not even a mirror, it's like a piece of glass, but he sees his reflection and his reflection's like smiling back at him. He, he sees Joan screaming at him from across the street. And yeah. the entire time, he just doesn't really seem to absorb any of the information. Yeah, because it's like, the movie seems to change its focus when Paimon moves into the next person, and then that's the focus. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that, it. The focus in yeah. the first, like... It's it's almost in it's almost your three acts, isn't it? First yeah. act, it's Charlie. She's possessed. That's who her focus is on. Decapitated. Second act is possessing Annie. She's our focus. She gets decapitated. Final act, it's trying to possess Peter. He's the focus. Yeah. But you're right. You're you're hundred percent right. Yeah, because that that that's exactly what I was meaning by that. You you hit right on the nail there. Yeah. So yeah, it's. It's, it's a fucked up film, but it's yeah. worth a fucking watch. Because I mean, we've not even there's there's tons and tons that I think we could get into, um, without this film. Like I th- I feel like we could easily go another hour and still talk about loads of the things we've seen. There's you know, there's just tons. There's absolutely tons we could go talk about. Um, I do want to quickly point out as well. Um, what would you do if your mother turned around to you and said, "I never wanted to be your mother." fucking I'd be shocked for a start because when she said I know it ends up being in a dream sequence but when she yeah. says that when she says that to Peter I'm like holy fuck yeah what the fuck why would why would you say that and you can she, see she regrets <laughs> it immediately but uh, it's it's one of those things It once it's said it's said the cat's out the bag yeah you know I just thought that was absolutely fucking wild. Um, what a couple other things that I want to point out. I love the effects in this movie. That scene where we do get a glimpse of uh, Charlie's decapitated head and it's just crawling with ants. Crawling with ants, yeah. yeah. I knew you would love that. I was surprised you hadn't mentioned that already. I absolutely love that. And we get that again later on, again in the dream sequence where Annie sees Peter's body just crawling with ants as well. Ah, that's so cool and so gross and disgusting. The decapitation of both, well, both decapitation scenes themselves are absolutely brutal and yeah. gory and everything that you, I, I would want them to be. Um, and this, this movie overall for me is just something. Yes, I understand why people have pacing issues with it, 
but I think there's so much information. I would I would feel more aggrieved with the pacing if the information that I was getting, say for that first hour, was significantly less. But we're getting so much in there, and you're yeah. you're you're and the more and more times I watch it, the less and less I become less and less of an issue the pacing becomes for me because I watch it again and I know I'm looking out at every possible f- corner of the screen to see if there's some piece of information that I've missed or some uh. symbol that I haven't seen before. So it almost becomes irrelevant to me that it is such a slow-paced movie because I, you're literally watching every scene, every frame, trying to find out and figure out whether or not there's a clue there or there's a symbol or a sign or anything at all and that's to me what really makes this a great film because i get absorbed into it there's no real aspect of this movie that i think is a bad film this i I haven't touched upon it but the score for this film is so complimentary and it's so grand and mischievous and just victorious as well at the same time it complements the movie so so well you know when when they were making this movie Ari Aster told the the head of music the the head I can't remember the person's name but the person who's in charge of the score treat the score like it's his own character so right. they essentially essentially the score was its own person within the film you know what I'm saying so they just they paid so much time and care and attention to every single possible little detail to this film and we've talked about that before about previous films when they're doing that you know what you're getting you're getting something that is going to be worth watching yeah um I'm not going to go bang on about too much more about this film because like I say I think I could just sit here and repeat myself for a couple hours about it I think I think everyone knows perfectly well how i'm going to feel and what sort of scores i'm going to be giving this in a in a little while nico is there anything else any other aspect of this movie any points that we've missed that you would like to talk about before we move on uh the only bit is see the bit at the end when he's standing in front of the two headless corpses with a crown on Uh uh-huh and it's like he's realizing what it's all actually about and everything Mm -hmm. i think that bit just his facial expression and that, like, I think that's why a lot of folks think there's going to be a follow-up to this. Yeah. Still, folk talk about that. I mean, and no, I think that's why. I don't, I, I'm, I'm assuming um, that there, there, there will not be a follow-up to this. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't want a follow-up to this. I'm a, I don't know how you feel if you would want one. Well, I didn't before, but when I talked to folk about it, Sometimes it makes sense when they're, they're speaking about shit again. Because, well, I mean, like, there was one person I was talking to, they were saying, I'd love to see what happens from then on with Paimon actually having a body to control. Well, the thing is, as well, Paimon is not a particularly well known, um, however you want to call it, spirit, demon, entity. Um, you know, it's not a particularly well known one. So I think it almost it leaves that wonder for the audience because we don't really know like if, if it was a case of oh you know satan is coming back satan is possessing this it's uh. you know then you you have you, you 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 can make it up in your own mind and you can kind of judge but paimon is in this is as told in this is the king of mischief uh. and it's like oh what does that mean what does that entail like where does that go? It leaves so much open to debate and question that I can completely see why there are people out there who would want a follow-up to that. I personally don't. 
Um, I personally think it's one of those things that's best left untold and unsaid. Um, but uh, I can totally see why people would want that. because uh, I'm sort of like on the fence. Put it this way, I'd go watch a sequel. Oh, I'd watch it, but I wouldn't want it. Yeah. I'd watch it, but I, yeah, yeah I, would, I wouldn't want it either. Um, last thing for me then as well, because. It's a debate that I think everyone has to have when we're talking about Ari Aster since he's only got two movies out. What do you prefer, Midsummer or Hereditary? Midsummer. You prefer Midsummer? Yeah. Why? Now that I've watched Midsummer more, there's more to it. There's more in it for me, if you know what I mean. There's more ins and outs that's weaved in better. And there's just something about the characters that just gets me. However, in my opinion, if you're talking about this movie having pacing issues, yes, you cannot speak about Midsummer without also bringing up the pacing of that film. It is half an hour longer than this film. Yeah, um, and to me, I'm a big fan of Midsummer. I really like Midsummer. I really like Ari Aster. I prefer Hereditary. Um, yeah, Midsummer gets to the point where it start it drags at times, in my opinion. Yeah, the the midsummer one for me, it feels. I'm trying to put a, a. It feels more realistic to me, if you know what I mean. Okay. It, it feels more like don't get me wrong, pacing issues and not just as bad. Well, I think as well, like yeah, okay, it's still a cult. It's a very similar theme, but there's no demonic presence in this one in midsummer. Yeah. Everything that happens happens by human hand. Exactly. So I, I get I get what you're saying there as well. And, and that whole bit where she's like grieving everything that's happened but happy that she's like free. Still alive and free and part of the cult now, basically. Yeah. It's just that's so fucked up that bit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh don't get me wrong, I, I'm a big, big fan of Midsummer as well. I, I just prefer hereditary. I, I prefer Midsummer, but yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, is that it then? Anything else? Uh, no, no, that's it for me. Okay, okay, let us move on to our next segment then, and we'll talk about a little bit of trivia. I'm sure if we bashed your head in, all sorts of secrets would come tumbling out. I, I'm not going to spend too long going through trivia for this, because I don't think there's a huge amount that we probably haven't already sort of covered in some way, shape, or fashion. Um, we'll start off with the finances, as we always do. According to IMDb, this movie had a budget of $10 million and grossed worldwide $82.5 million. So, uh, quite the success at the box office, I think it's fair to say. Um, Tony Collette, actually hates horror films she told yeah, her ag- i've been told that yeah she told her agent that she didn't want to do any more heavy dark films and that she actually only wanted to do comedy movies but when she saw the script for hereditary she loved it so much that she couldn't turn it down so oh, i don't mean like oh i only want to do comedies and end up doing hereditary that's uh, a bit of a shift just slightly yeah yeah um tony collette has also called ari aster the most prepared director she's ever worked with she said, praised him for practically having the entire movie already shot and edited in his head two years before they started filming. So Ari Aster knew exactly what he wanted way in advance of anything even starting. No. Um, Ari Aster also wanted any effect that could be done practically to be done in that way instead of in post-production. Uh, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that me and you, Nico, are fans of practical effects over post-production CGI. Yep, 100%. Um, as are a lot of the people in our podcast, friends and family. 
Um, Alex Wolfe, who plays Peter, has said in an interview that the original cut of this film would have easily gone well over three hours. Um, sure. But they cut the footage that they cut mostly is family dialogue, and I think that that's that's where it gets to the stage where I would be in agreement with you with the pacing. Um, if we were getting to that stage where we're at three hours and the most of this extra hour that we're getting is just dialogue and family dialogue that probably isn't actually telling us too much and giving us too much insight and clues or is going the opposite and giving us too much um, uh, that's where um, that's where I would start to have an issue with the with the um, the pacing of the film uh um, Alex Wolf has also said that Gabriel Byrne is one of his favourite people he's ever gotten to work with. So, um, at least Steve's actor was getting some some praise off off a camera. <laughs> um, and the producer of the film said it actually worked out very well. Gabriel Byrne and Alex Wolf had worked together um, previously, as had Alex Wolf and Millie Shapiro. They actually went to the same acting school together it, because uh, it made Tony Collette the outsider in the dynamic. Oh, right, okay. Uh, and they felt that that really mirrored Annie's character and feelings of alienation within her own family very well. So that dynamic they actually were really happy with um, because it then transferred onto screen as well. Yeah. Which I think is a cool little fact as well. Final piece of trivia that I have, uh, the scene where Alex Wolf, uh, Peter, smashes his face off his desk. Uh, Alex Wolf actually offered Ari Aster for him to just break his nose on the desk. Fuck. Um, and Ari Aster was like, no, then I'd be a silly dick. He maybe didn't quite say it like that, but <laughs> then I'd be a silly dick. I'm going to get you a padded desk. But no, Alex Wolf actually just wanted to break his nose. That's fucking insane. Mental, isn't it? Saying that, fucking, if I did that, it wouldn't take much of a fucking hit to make my nose bleed. I can, that's because your fucking nose is massive, you can. It fucking broke so many fucking ties. <laughs> um that's it though that's all i've got for trivia like i say i'm not gonna get too deep into trivia as well since you know we've already we've already gone a little bit longer in this episode than we have for some previous ones uh anything else that's nico, understandable though with the subject bar yeah definitely uh, anything else though nico that you want to touch upon before we move on uh no not really no, no trivia I, I expected us to cover more of midsummer on this comparing the two but meh uh, we'll probably do that when we eventually get round to midsummer. I know. I was thinking that myself when I th- I was thinking after I said that, I'm like, yeah, probably do that once we do the next one. Yeah. Okay, we'll move on to our final segment then, and we'll do the ratings and the reviews. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. As always, we'll start off with the critics' scores. IMDb scored this movie a 7.3 out of 10. Metacritic scoring it an 8.7 out of 10. Now, Metacritic is famously, on this podcast, the harshest of the critics' scores. This movie, out of all the movies we've covered, is tied for second place on Metacritic's score. It's got the same score. It it also gave Halloween an 8.7 and it gave Alien an 8.9. And that is it. See, you've just thrown what I was thinking for the normal right out the fucking window. So, with that being said, Nico, what do you think the Rotten Tomatoes critics and audience have scored this movie? You see, now you're a dickhead, because fucking... I, they never do that, so it's about to be higher than I thought. Because initially I'm like, 75A. For both? 
Yeah, 75 for, like, critic. 80 for audience. Okay. You thought the audience would be higher than this and than the critics? Yeah. So okay. now that you've said that, I'll go 85, 80. 80. I still think the audience. I still think the audience will be about 80. 85, 80. Okay. Um. So the Rotten Tomatoes critics scored this ninety percent. Fuck. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes audience scoring this sixty-nine percent. Which Dude. I think goes back to the what we were saying earlier about this being more <laughs> polarizing. Yeah. I'm just pretending that you didn't say that. <laughs> What what I say? Uh, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think that goes back to <laughs> I think that goes back to the us what we were saying earlier. This is it's a, is a polarizing movie amongst the fans. The critics yeah. love this film. Yeah, like the meta one threw me right off there. Mm. Uh, critics consensus hereditary uses its classic setup as the framework for a harrowing, uncommonly unsettling horror film whose cold touch lingers long beyond the closing credits. Um, See, this is one of those movies that a lot of folk, when I was talking about it, they were either like, oh, this is the best horror movie it's ever been, or I just didn't get it, was what folk were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like I say, it's, it's it's one of those ones, isn't it? It's just, it's very polarising. As always, we throw it out to you guys, our followers and listeners, and ask for some of your opinions and thoughts on the movie, and we get to read some of them out. Chicklet Podcast gives this a thousand. Shit scared me so bad, I had nightmares after, and I don't generally get super sensitive about horror. I think it's Aster's use of gore at unexpected moments that make the viewer feel so unsafe. That's something that we didn't even talk about, because in general, this is not a gory film. There's not huge yeah. amounts of violence in this film, but then all of a sudden, there's just moments there's where it's yeah. fucking mental, where we, uh, we see, you know, Charlie's decapitated head, where we see Annie cutting off her own head. You know, there's those moments in there. Yeah. Uh, Movies for Days gives us a 10. One of the best films of the 20 teens. Acting off the charts. Tension building. Amazing. Cinematography beautiful and entrancing. Kills and scares. Cruel. Shocking and memorable. I don't throw out 10s basically ever, but this movie earns it. We haven't even really talked about how good looking this film is. This is a really pretty looking film as well. Um, Which is a theme of Astros as well, because Midsummer is the same. Uh, I was just going to say that, so he beat me to it again. A uh, friend of the show, Boomer, gives it a 6 out of 10. I enjoyed it, and it's an exceptionally made film. Technically, everything is fantastic, but it just had me checking my watch. Despite the good performances, I didn't care about any of the characters, so just never got invested. I'm actually a little surprised that Boomer's score for this is so low. Um, I thought this would be something that would be right up Boomer Street, but Boomer likes sh- Bloomer, li- Bloomer likes schlocky bad films, um, so... Maybe it's Nothing that. wrong with that. Uh, Carrie Messinio uh, uh, gives this a 10. I'm sorry if I've butchered your name. So real, I got paranoid after and had to sleep with the lights on. Uh, Shane Saw Massacre gives this... Uh, this is definitely a 9 for me. First movie in a long time that genuinely disturbed me. Great replay value too. We talked about, you know, the replay value of this movie. Uh, Jay Belly gives it a 7.5. Good premise, just a bit slow and methodical. Could have sped up for a better rating for me. Uh, our friends over the House of Screams podcast, absolutely perfect film, tens across the board, they love it. Uh, Joe Smart only gives it a five, though. Too long, slow, and punishing for my taste. The only good thing I can really say about Hereditary was that it kept me watching, despite the fact that I really wasn't enjoying anything about the movie. I'm not usually a masochist when it comes to watching fil- movies I don't like. 
And finally, friend of the show, Ren, gives it a 9 out of 10. One of the best films in the last decade. A sense of dread that continues to build into a crescendo of total madness for the last act of the film. Tony Collette puts on a masterclass performance that should have won her awards. Few movies have unnerved me to this level. This did. So, we took all your scores, combined them. If you gave us a thousand, we still only counted that as a ten, uh, just for people, uh, just for people's reference. Uh, the listeners, on average, gave in this movie an eight point three out of ten. A very, very high score again from the listeners. Um, so that just leaves us, Nico, on a scale of zero to ten. What are you gonna rate Hereditary? So you're gonna hate me first, but I'm gonna give it a seven point five out of ten. I am gonna hate you for that. That is a shocking yeah. low score, Nico. Because, like. Don't get me wrong, it does have rewatch value and everything. It is a good movie, but I found the past two times I was watching it, I was just looking out for new bits. I wasn't actually enjoying it anymore. Okay. And that that sort of like just defeated it for me, if you know what I mean. Okay. That's that's you're entitled to your opinion, no matter how wrong it is. Well that's <laughs> the way it goes. Um I I'll I'll I, I hate this movie. No, I'm joking. Um, I yeah. If you said that and gave it anything under fucking, I would just be like, "What the fuck?" I adore this movie. I think this is near on a perfect film. I think every single aspect of it is done expertly. The performances is fantastic. I don't have an issue with the pacing because I'm so invested. Even now that I've watched it six or seven times, I'm so invested in what is going on checking to see even things that i already know are there and i've already found i'm so invested in seeing that again the pacing just doesn't become becomes a non-factor for me i think i agree with what some of the listeners were saying you know the gore like we were saying earlier when it just pops out of nowhere when really there's no that, that much gore in the film there's so much foreshadowing there's so much detail it's a beautifully made film the sound's incredible it's gory when it needs to be and it's not gory when it needs to be it's just to me almost a perfect film Obviously, I'll never ever give out a 10 on this podcast, but Hereditary gets a 9.5 from me. Do you mean you'll never give out a 10? You will give out a 10 at some point. Uh, we've already done my favourite movie of all time, and I what, what I believe to be the greatest horror movie of all time, and we I didn't give it a 10. Shocking. So I don't believe I will ever give out a 10 on this podcast. I've given out 10s on other people's podcasts because my criteria for them are slightly less strict. See, that's just stupid. No. Uh, anyways. I, I would give the same ratings. Would you? I? Ish. Okay. Uh, all of our scores combined with the critics and the listener scores gives Hereditary an average score of 8.2 out of 10 and puts it in 11th place of the now 64 movies that we have covered on the podcast. It's one place above Near Dark and one place below The Lost Boys. Splitting up those 1987 vampire movies, finally. Uh, something had to get in between them. Um, personally, out of all the movies we've covered on this podcast, I think this is a top 10 film so far. Yeah. I don't think it's a top 10 of all time. I think there are definitely 10 other horror movies that I would prefer above it, but given the 64 movies that we've covered on the show, I think this is a top 10 film. Fair enough. But, um, it's in, it's in, obviously, it's in 11th place. It's up there with the best films that we've covered, so it's in great yeah. company. You know, it's just, it's 
also with 8.2s, but just slightly above it, like I say, are the Lost Boys, Cabin in the Woods and The Shining. It's just above a near-dark American Psycho and Prey, so, you know, it's it's in pretty good fucking company. Uh, I, I, the three below, I would have rather watched them. Ah, so. uh, no doubt. Uh, anyways. <laughs> Especially Prey. I, I think Prey is totally underrated on that. Well, we both think Prey is an underrated movie. You know, we both rated Prey really, really highly. I would rather watch Hereditary than Prey, though. See, I'm all the way down. Yep, I know. And your scores reflect it. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, that will do it for this week's show. Up next on the podcast, um, very a very last-minute change for us. Since it's episode number... What episode number is it, Nico? Uh, mm, 69, dude. <laughs> it's episode number 69, um, I think we, we thought we'd do something a little bit tongue-in-cheek, would we say? I just changed it during this episode. You so literally yeah. changed it during this episode because you didn't think the movie we were going to be covering was funny enough. I think that's a funny movie, but not as funny as this. Uh, what have you chosen for us to watch uh, review next week? The stupidest horror movie ever. Which is? Scary movie. Scary movie. Episode 69 could only be scary movie. Um, Tell me that doesn't fit. So. I, it, it fits perfectly, Nico. I'm not even going <laughs> to I'm not even going to deny it. It fits perfectly. That's what we'll be reviewing next week though, so um buckle in for that one because I actually at this point have no idea what we're going to talk about for <laughs> scary movie. Um, it's a movie I've seen probably a 100 times. Um I have a funny feeling, though, it's going to be a movie that I think is a lot funnier when I was 10 years old now, yes. rather than now when I'm 31. However, however, I will uh, be an open mind upon a rewatch. Um, but yeah, we'll be talking about that next week. Uh, Nico, as always, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me on again. No problem at all. Uh, thank you to everyone for downloading and listening to this episode at home. Don't forget, if you would like to support us across our social media platforms, you can do so. We're on Twitter at Damned Podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Pod of the Damned. And you can email us at podofthedamned at gmail.com. And until next week on the Pod of the Damned, just remember, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't.